Hello, I'm Sami Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher, author, filmmaker, and the founder of Impeak. My guest on today's podcast is Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, where we talk about his most recent book, Build for Tomorrow, an action plan for embracing change, adapting fast, and future-proofing your career. I hope you enjoy. So tell me about the book. Very exciting. I, Thank I you. Yeah, that's how we discovered, you know, I, I saw your uh, LinkedIn message and I've pre-ordered it. Really looking forward to Thank you. It's so nice of you. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about the book. Yeah. So, well, look, I really appreciate it. It's nice to be here. The book is called Build for Tomorrow, uh, the subtitle. It's funny. Uh, I've interviewed a million authors and the authors always stumble on their subtitle. And I think, how do you not know your subtitle? You just wrote this book. And now I do this. I do it too. So I'm going to just read from it. An action plan for embracing change, adapting fast and future proofing your career. Uh, the, the publisher's uh, marketing department wrote that. And I think they did a nice job. So here's the thing. When I became editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, people started asking me this question. And the question was, what are the qualities of a successful entrepreneur? It's just what everybody would ask me. And um, I will tell you something before I go into book promo mode, that uh, if, you, if you step back and you listen to the questions that people ask you, you will realize that questions are actually people telling you what they think your value is to them. And if you can then figure out what that value is, then you're a step ahead of being valuable to people. And uh, this, that question transformed me because the more that I thought about it, the more I realized, oh, the reason you think that I'm valuable is because you think, well, I talk to everybody, so I'm the pattern matcher. So that's great. I should lean into that. And also, I should have a good answer to this question. What is the thing that makes everybody valuable and that makes everybody successful? And I spent a lot of time talking to people about it and a lot of time thinking, and I came to realize that the one thing that every successful person has in common is that they're adaptable. And that adaptability is not something that you're born with. It is something that people learn and that you can get better at it. And I thought, well, if I could capture that, if I could understand what people are doing, then I could really help a lot of people. Uh, and that sent me down like a five-year path of, of learning and taking notes and trying to process it together. And that's what the book is. The reason why I really, really resonated with that when I saw your LinkedIn message is yeah. because um, I'm building a Web3 education platform. Mm. And it's like, it's all about teaching people and companies about uh, what is Web3, what's tokenization, how is it changing the nature of economy how the yeah, way yeah. that we do business and the thing that we find is how hard it is for people to adapt and they it was the same thing with digital transformation digital you know digital um marketing for example like people learning about social media learning about you know how to tell stories you know yeah. how hard it was for them to get on board and i i made a documentary called the millennial disruption I made the documentary in 2017 and it was released in 2018. I interviewed mm. people like Gary Vaynerchuk, uh -huh. you know, and, and we were talking about this adaptability, like yeah. this, this idea of, you know, why are these companies being left behind and what does it mean if, uh, to them if they don't adapt? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, yes, absolutely. And um, no better person to talk to about this stuff than Gary Vaynerchuk. He actually blurbed the book, which I was, uh, it was an honor that he did that. My philosophy on change is that change happens in four phases. Panic, adaptation, new normal, wouldn't go back. And I think a lot of people get stuck in panic. They panic slows them down. They they reverse course after panic. They never quite can break through it. And you know what? If they do break through it, then I think that they get stuck at new normal, which is to say that they try to find something that feels comfortable, that feels like they they found a roof uh, to 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 take comfort under uh, as it's raining outside. And and they never push themselves to get to that most important phase, which is wouldn't go back, where you actually find something so new and valuable that you say I wouldn't want to go back to a time before I had this. That requires speed. Because getting to wouldn't go back is your competitive advantage. So many people will get stuck at panic. So many people will adapt slowly. If you can move forward, if you can get to the point of recognition where you say, this is something new and valuable to me, so valuable, in fact, that, I, that I'm willing to abandon the way that I thought before, uh, then you're ahead of the game. Now, I, I want to go back to something that you said a minute ago, because uh, it's, it's super interesting. Um, what you're doing in the Web3 space and uh, and that you're trying to bring education to it, I think it's really important. This is something that I cover in the book that I think really applies to, to Web3. I think it's a, a massive missing component uh, of the way that most people talk about Web3, which is, okay, I've studied a lot of the history of innovation. I do it through this podcast of mine by the same name as the book, Build for Tomorrow. And over and over again, I find this problem with innovators. And the problem is that they understand their innovation so well that they forget to explain it to everybody else. Mm. And they don't realize that other people will not immediately understand the value of it. And the reason for this is because people don't like new things. They don't. What they like are better versions of old things. Yeah. And so you have to bring them along. You have to build what I call a bridge of familiarity. I'll give you a quick story. Mm -hmm. Turn of the century, cars, brand new thing. And they are out on the streets, late 1800s, and people hate them. They hate them. They call them the devil wagon. They throw rocks at them. They yell, get a horse, as someone drives down the street. And the story of the car as it's told now, is that Henry Ford was the guy who revolutionized cars. That's not entirely true. I mean, he revolutionized manufacturing, but Henry Ford was the beneficiary of something that happened before him. This was told to me by a historian who, who spent a lot of time researching this. Uh, and what she told me was that in the earliest days of the auto industry, they advertised the car as a replacement to the horse. Get rid of your horse, get this car, it's much better. People resented that. They hated it. You know why? Because they liked their horse. Yeah. Horse is part of the family. Their parents had horses and their grandparents had horses and their great-grandparents had horses. And now you're going to come along and say, get rid of the horse? Screw you. And so the auto industry realized that they had to talk about it differently. They had to stop talking about the car as a replacement to the horse. And they had to start talking about it as a better horse. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is to say, start to respect the horse, use language of the horse. Why do you think we have yeah. cars that are named after horses? Why do we have words like horsepower? This is because they were yeah. building 
bridge of familiarity. They were saying, here's the thing that you know, and here's the way in which we are making that thing better. We're not telling you to throw everything out. We're saying here is an improvement of the way that you do things so that the thing that you already do can now be done better, more efficiently, whatever the case is. The problem with so much Web3 stuff is that people start from, when people are talking about it, they start from now instead of start from then. They start to tell me all these crazy things that I can do with Web3, but they don't tell me why I want any of this stuff or how any of this stuff fits into my already existing life. And people hear this stuff and they say, I don't know what the point of this is. What are you talking about? Why do I need this? You yeah. got to bring people along and people don't do that and you need to do it. I really love what you said about it being a better horse rather than being, you know, to replace the horse, because I see that a lot of people who are, you know, Bitcoiners and, and cryptopians, and I, I, look, I, I own crypto, I um, you know, buy NFTs, like I, I'm in that camp, but I really think that storytelling is very important. I don't, I don't like the idea of, you know, the kind of, like there are a lot of people would like call it a dirty fiat, you know, call your money like dirty fiat. Well, people don't like to think of their money as being dirty fiat. They work yeah. hard for it. You know, they are saving it there. So that's not, that's not helpful. Uh, you know, like I understand that, look, I, I'm, I think a bit of an anarchist at heart, you know, um, in the sense that I like things to be decentralized. I like the, uh, the power to be spread out. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's like in steps, right? And, and I guess, uh, I wonder if your book will prepare us for, uh, do you walk us through these steps that it takes through, to go through these transitions? Um, because uh, it's one of the things I call myself a tech philosopher and a transition architect. So I look at the philosophy of technology and then transition architect is somebody who looks at how do we transition from one technology to another? And, and how do we tell a story? How do we bring people on board? So and that's why I was like, really, I'm really looking forward to reading your book because or listening to it on Audible, because I think, um, you know, I'm always looking for people who are going to help me find the language to explain yeah. it. Right. Yeah, so. I, I yes. And it's and, and I, I, I commend you for doing all that because it's it's so important to have guides to, 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 to who, who can who can understand that, look, we're building great, amazing things. But if it doesn't fit into people's lives, if it isn't relevant to them, then it's pointless. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make sense. There's a reason that I don't own a robotic dog. They exist. Why would I want one? You know, it, it's like, uh, so there's a, you know, it's fascinating. That anecdote that I told you about the car is one of a, a bazillion anecdotes of new technology that came along that people were just outraged by, terrified by, furious about. I mean, I, 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 could, I could tick them off. There are a million of them. Cars, coffee, chess. Teddy bears, people are freaking out about teddy bears, a whole cri moral crisis about it in 1907. Uh, uh, it goes on and on and on, recorded music. And um, the Walkman, people were, there was towns that banned the Walkman. And, um, it, but you know what? Here's one, here's one innovation. Perhaps or you could argue the, the most uh, transformative of all that people didn't freak out about. Electricity. They didn't freak out about electricity. It's it's fast now. There were there were things that were dangerous about electricity that that they were concerned about. For example, um, the original electric wires were installed above ground instead of below ground, so they would fall and they would electrocute people. That was not good. But um, but they didn't. There wasn't the kind of 
there wasn't the kind of mass objection to electricity that you had to cars or even teddy bears. And the reason is really interesting. The reason is because when electricity was introduced, nobody could imagine, and people did not talk about how it was going to revolutionize the whole world. That was not part of the conversation. Instead, most people experienced electricity for one purpose and one purposes only, and that was lighting. It was because electricity would come into your home and it would replace your gas lighting. Gas lighting is terrible, super dangerous. If that if that you know flame goes out and gas keeps pumping into your home, you could die. Everybody understood that. They were very happy to have a safer lighting. Again, like I said, people don't want new things. They want a better version of old things. Electricity was just a better version of lighting to people. And then once it was in people's homes, you could expand. You could say, oh, well, now I can do this with electricity. I can do that with electricity. But now they already are touching it. They're feeling it. Well, not literally, but you know, they're seeing how it fits into their world. And so they're a lot more open to it. The problem that we have is that we, we, you got to take that first step and you got to make that first step as unbelievably relevant to people as possible. And you're right. Like talking about like dirty money, this is just a stupid way to introduce a concept to people because it doesn't fit into their world. Find something that they find a real pain point, an actual pain point for most people and, and then go fix that. And once you've done that, you open the conversation. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. So the book, is it written for entrepreneurs because you are obviously editor-in-chief of entrepreneurs so is the book written for people who are innovators or is it also written for people who just everyday people who just want to understand how to better adapt yeah it's 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 the latter i wrote this book for literally anybody who experiences change the thing that i found you know it's funny when i first started mm-hmm. entrepreneur i started entrepreneur in 2015 i became editor-in-chief in 2016 and I was trying to work through this puzzle. And the puzzle was, how do I talk to everybody who identifies with the word entrepreneur? So, which is separate from the book because the book is, is not just for people who identify as entrepreneurs, but let's just start with entrepreneur. How do I, because, because there's so many people, you know, uh, everybody from, everybody from a kid selling stuff on eBay to somebody running a venture back Silicon Valley company to the star of an NFL team. They all call themselves entrepreneurs. I'll use that word. What do they all have in common? How do I speak to them all? And the, the thing that I found was that the one thing that they all have in common, the one thing that you could talk to them about, all of them, was the experience of entrepreneurship, the emotional experience, the, the, the problem solving, the banging your head against walls. This is the thing that everybody, now let's expand it beyond entrepreneurs, literally everybody alive today, the thing that everybody can share is the, 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 the fear, the uncertainty of navigating something where you feel alone. And the funny thing is that you're not alone because everybody else is doing it just as you are. And so I have found in these conversations that I've had over many, many years, and you know, the book the book features conversations that I have I've had with just like, you know, everybody from like The Rock to Ryan Reynolds to, uh, you know, Main Street entrepreneurs to researchers and scientists. And uh, and and what I find is that they, what they all have in common is that they have all grappled with this in some way. And they've all come up with some method by which to make sense of the changes in their lives. And and, and that's just something that's something that's so universal. And I think we all have the same ultimate problem with change which is that it's so much easier to see loss than gain. You see loss immediately in a moment of change. And it's so hard to see change, see gain 
uh, gain is on the horizon, gain is over the horizon. So how do we help people get there? And to your point earlier, to get them as fast as possible. Okay, so if you had a few big takeaway points from the book that when people read it, they bear those in mind and they're like, you know, that there's this threat that's going through the, you know, the whole storyline. Uh, so you talked about the fact that when people go through change, they, it usually goes through panic adaptation and then new normal and wouldn't go back. And we all experienced this in the pandemic. So now we are going to go through one change after another back to back over the coming years. It's going to be like that, you know, like it's taken web two 20 years to get to where it is or 30 years to get where it is. I think that the next disruption, I think is going to be quantum computing, you know, and that's going to change the society in so many ways. So it's hard to not be scared because humanity is going towards a place where we have no previous paradigm for. We can't go back to a time in history to find out how to deal with these changes. So, so how does your book prepare people for it? Is there like principles that they need to hold on to that will make this change a little bit easier for them? Yeah. So, I mean, look, you, you, I, you ask an excellent and, and very, very large question. Uh, so, and I, which I don't, uh, I don't, I, I obviously can't respond to in full right now, but, um, but here's what I'll say. Uh, so first of all, you know, you, you said that, you know, we're, go, we're getting to a place where there's no, um, there's no par- parallel in history. I, I, I'm not so convinced of that. And the reason is because throughout history, we have said that uh, over and over again, uh, right? And, uh, and, and yet uh, the, the foundation of who we are and what we do doesn't really change. The way in which the tools that we use and the means of communication and all of that can change. But, you know, if you want to look at the, if you were to boil down the challenges that we have with, uh, with like the internet today, you can find those same things articulated in the earliest days of the telegraph in the 1800s. I mean, like the same exact thing, right? From, from misinformation to people not quite understanding the, 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 the purpose of, of, of communication and a lot of doubt over the value of it, right? Like the, you know, people saying in the earliest days of Twitter, why would I want to tweet what I had for breakfast is, is the same as, um, uh, Henry David Thoreau uh, writing in Walden that um, uh, once a once a telegraph connects Maine and Texas, that Maine and Texas won't actually have anything to say to each other. These are the same things. So we're repeating ourselves throughout time, and and I think that we'll be we'll be repeating ourselves once again. It's not to say that the new new technology isn't going to be more powerful than the old technology, but what it will do relative to what has experienced in the past. Is is the same, right? Which is to say that it will speed up commerce, it will speed up communication, it will, um, it will, it will, it will make the world um, kind of ever more connected, and we'll find new opportunities. But uh, in those opportunities, there will also be lots of people who will take advantage of it, and there will be problems to solve. And this is just what we do over and over and over again. So I think that the thing that we need to focus on as we go through this is not to get caught up in the specific outcomes, okay. but rather to think very clearly, to identify very clearly the purpose for us individually and for us as organizations. And, and uh, what I, I'll give you a very, very quick example that has nothing to do with technology. Um, I 
during the pandemic, I was talking, I was catching up with the CEO of a company called Foodsters, baking mix company. And they, you know, so they, they make, uh, you go to Whole Foods, and you can find cake mixes or whatever by, by Foodsters. And they had spent like a year or two preparing for a massive new rollout of, of different kinds of products. They're going to do these ready to eat products. And uh, it was going to transform the business. They'd never done it before. And then uh, the pandemic came along and it radically altered the way that consumers were buying. And they, they, um, they decided to put their big changes on hold indefinitely. And I asked Greg, the CEO, whether that was a bummer. And he said, no. And the reason he said is because it goes back to why you start a business to begin with. He says, our mission is to bring joy to people through sweet baked goods. That's what it's all about. And when he said that, I mean, he said it so casually, but I realized what he had done is he had separated what the company does, the outcome, the product of their work from why they do it. And we don't do that often enough. We define ourselves by the product of our work. We define ourselves by the specific thing that we're putting out into the world. But that 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 is going to change. So if you put all your chips in on on uh, on a cryptocurrency, and cryptocurrency uh, never quite takes off in the way that uh, that that people talk about it right now, but in fact, some underlying technology, you know, technology uh, um, uh, goes on to do something totally different that we can't anticipate right now. And people look back in five years and they say, well, Bitcoin, that was a ridiculous idea, but this other thing. And if you've identified too much with cryptocurrency, well, then what are you going to do? You're going to dig your feet in the ground. You're going to say, no, 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 no. I only do this. This is what everyone, this is what it's about. Why are we all leaving this? Right. And you're going to stay behind because you have identified yourself by your what you need to identify yourself by your why. What is the reason that you're interested in this? What is the thing that is driving you to develop the skills that is that is uh, enabling you to do the kind of work that you do right now? And how can that, how can you pivot off of that? The more that we can dig in, that we can identify the actual thing that does not change about us and our work, the less concerned we're going to be by the things that do change. And we're going to have a clarity of purpose. You know, the thing is about Web3 and Web4 and Web5 and 6 and 7 and 8, all of these are going to ultimately be driven by the same idea, the same purpose, which is to make make life easier, to bring more prosperity to people, to create a, a more connected and functional world. Uh, that's It's the same thing over and over again. It's just different technologies to do it. The more that we can understand the clarity of purpose, the more it does not matter when things change because you will know what your purpose is. That's amazing. That's a great place to bring the conversation to an end. I could talk to you literally forever. I know how busy you are. I have also been talking since morning. I'm losing my voice. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thank you so much for being here. I really look forward to reading the book or, and listening to it. I'm more of an auditory kind of learner. Yeah, it's, um, that's and, fine. I look forward to recording it. We're, we're recording this early enough that I've yet to actually do the book, uh, the book recording, but I will be. So yes, no, thank you. The book again, by the way, is called Build for Tomorrow and you can yes. find it wherever you get books or audio. And, what I love about that title is that tomorrow never comes because because there's so tell your book is never going to be outdated. That's true, which is why you have to be constantly adapting because the second that we stop, we become outdated. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much, Jason. I look forward to um, reading the book, listening to it, and uh, shouting out about it. I will share this with everybody. Is there anything you want to let leave people with? Like, where do they follow you? You know. It's 
push. Sure. Sure. <laughs> As if the whole thing hasn't already been somewhat promotional. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, no, thanks. Well, look, you know, again, the book called Built for Tomorrow. If you want to get in touch with me directly, um, you can find everything at my website, which is jasonpfeiffer.com. And if you want like a little bit of a taste of the book and, and, uh, and, some other value. If you go to jasonfiver.com, um, look at the top right, you'll see this box that says free training. That's a free audio guide that I've put together about how to be more, more adaptable. It has some of the concepts that are from the book so you can get a sense of it and, uh, and, and also um, can just uh, help you feel more excited about what's coming next. Amazing. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jason Pfeiffer. Be sure to order his excellent book and give him a follow on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date with his work. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. The full interviews are also available on my YouTube channel, The Somi Ariane Show.